Welcome, fool. You have come of your own free will to the appointed place. The game is over. Game? What game? The game of the hunted leading the hunt. This is KB Antonio Bay. Stevie Wayne here. And let me be the first to wish Antonio Bay a happy birthday. We're 100 years old today. And keep a watch out for that Bombay heading in from the east. Welcome to North East South, the podcast that is and isn't about design. This is episode 86. And this week we are, we are across the veil. <laughs> Not the veil of Aylesbury. Have you got one foot on the other side? <laughs> is that particularly uncomfortable? Well, I mean, I think we've already got poltergeists and um, all sorts of spirits at work because uh, there are gremlins in our recording apparatus. Is there a ghost in your machine, John? <laughs> Yeah, we are we're doing a Halloween special, so um well, hope you enjoy. Uh you were just mentioning what was on your desk that you've got a brand new book out. <laughs> it sounds exciting to say I've got a brand new book out, haven't I? But uh, I guess I have. Um it's the Illustrated World of Mortal Engines and I've done fifty odd illustrations for it, all black and white. Um and it's based on the books Philip Reeve, kind of steampunky stuff. Uh so it's really it's really exciting to see my work in print. Doesn't happen that often, um, and I'm my work's sandwiched between concept art stuff from Ian McHugh and Amir Zand, who are two of my favourite artists. So it's you know slightly daunting and nerve wracking to open up the book and see how everything looks. But yeah, pretty chuffed. And how's the book going down? Do you know? Is it still well, in preview? It's uh, not released to the public until next week. Um, 1st of November comes out uh, but lots of reviews have got it I think and it's number one in Amazon under I don't know, young adult books or something already on pre-orders so I think it's doing pretty well Fabulous mm. And is it a nice quality book? It's lovely and it's got a very beautiful um, black slip uh, cover um, with kind of a bronze metallic foil. And then if you take that off, the book underneath is uh, bright orange cloth with <laughs> beautiful embossed gears and cogs on it. So it really is a, a lovely thing. And my um, my illustrations make up um, both the inside and uh, front and back covers, Brilliant. which is very nice. That's not the only place they appear. I'd be a bit disappointed, but <clears throat> yeah, all good. I'm going to go. Uh, the author Philip Reeve is doing a, a talk next week or the week after um, at a literacy charity event in London. So I'm going to pop along to that and uh, and see him give his talk and talk about the the book and the film and hopefully meet him, which should be nice. Fantastic. Well, all the best. Um, we should talk about the beer. We also missed the beers, didn't we? What beer are you drinking tonight? I'm drinking, as it's Halloween night, I'm drinking some Adnam's Ghost Ship. Ah. A ghostly pale ale. 
a very nice beer too. And I'm uh, Kitty picked me a beer tonight uh, from the off license. It's a pumpkin ale. It's actually got pumpkins in it. Uh, oh. It's got a witch on the on the label from the Downton Brewery in Wiltshire. Are you just sending your four year old daughter down to the off license to pick up your beers? She always picks my beers. I see. Yeah. Which is why I have such interesting beers and pies <laughs> in my life. Uh, uh, so what's been on your desk this week, Jonathan? It's a good question, Robert, and I shall answer you. The first thing that happened to me, apart from my broken computer woes from last episode, have continued through to the fact that I spent the entire weekend last weekend removing uh, information or uh, data off of my computer and um, getting it ready to uh, to wipe it. And the problem that I had was I didn't have an, enough storage to get it off the computer wow. to back it up. My backups had already filled up all the backup hard drives. Yeah. So uh, so that was that was exciting, and I hadn't cleaned off my. What did you do in the end? Did you just print it all out? <laughs> yeah, I've got it on uh, on that paper, the dot matrix stuff with lovely, the, yeah, the, lovely the perforated stuff. edges. <laughs> <laughs> it's taken four weeks to print off. Well, it was pretty much uh, as lengthy a, a process because I burnt it all onto DVDs. And I, I, well, the last time I burnt onto DVDs was when I left my last job. So that was five years ago. So I had quite a lot of data. Um, 45 DVDs I burnt. Wow. Um, which when uh, my brother-in-law said to me, well, why don't you just buy a hard drive and back it up to? I was like, yeah, that's that was probably a good idea. And it, do you know you what it four, is actually you get a four it, terabyte hard drive these days for about 60 quid yeah it? yeah you can um it's getting close but you know it's still i think the dvds were 50p each so it's oh, yeah. still half the price of that um and uh and it won't you know dvds don't really tend to break um but i'd completely forgotten how to burn a, a dvd and i imagine to a lot of people <laughs> they've never had to do any exactly. of that exactly I mean, i'm sure there are kids who uh who that's an entirely alien concept for at the same time, all the new Adobe apps came out yes. um, uh, just after we recorded the last episode. So I've been playing around with, with them. Um, have you upgraded to Illustrator? Yes. Have you got a Retina screen? No. No, you haven't, have you? So I haven't either. It's like they've made they've made the interface really, really big, like it's for babies. Oh. Um, you can adjust the scaling. Yeah. But it, obviously, the graphics are only produced for high-res screens, so everything's really fuzzy. How strange. Yeah, really bizarre. Let me turn that straight off. <laughs> <laughs> All the bits that they've added is just not really that useful. The only yeah. useful thing was something I showed you earlier in the week, which was they've now finally integrated any uh, comments or um, markup that's been made by a client in Acrobat will get pulled through into InDesign, which That's very if you're clever. a designer is really, really uh, a good time saver. Yeah, absolutely. The sad thing about it is that it pulls the interface from Acrobat into InDesign. Uh, Acrobat is just a pooling. It's like a yeah, it's babyish, isn't it? Well, it is, isn't it? I mean, it isn't, um, it isn't really a pro application in the way that InDesign or Photoshop or Illustrator is, is it? It's meant for... People in offices, predominantly, wouldn't yeah. you say? Yeah, I mean, I yeah. use it every I mean, day. And I, I yeah, use yeah. the pre-flighting in it 
Mm. Um, I've, I don't use the pre-flighting in, yeah. in InDesign anymore. I just pre-flight everything in there. But um, yeah, no, so that's a really handy thing because it actually it it move, it puts the markup exactly where the corrections or uh, edits need to be yeah, on your smart. page, which is very cool. Um, yeah, so I did that. Uh, I've also broken something else. I broke my Apple Pencil. Yes. How did you do that, John? Um, well, I was drawing on the sofa. and uh, Explain uh, to the people at Casualty how you, how you <laughs> yeah. broke your Apple Well, Pencil. it could have been really nasty because I sat on it um, and rather than go up my bottom, it went down into the sofa and actually poked a, an enormous hole into our lovely sofa um, and then snapped the end off, which would have been fine had it not damage the uh, sensors that are inside the tip because uh, the tips are you can change them and yeah, yeah. they're removable so um yeah broken um and now it's 90 odd quid for a new See, so do you now have it firmly attached to your person at all times i do and i've bought a little belkin case like apple sell uh, a case for this which is just a joke it is like a little leather sleeve yes and it's 30 quid it's crazy um, and the pencil doesn't fit in it <laughs> it sticks out the end. Oh, it sticks out the top, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, um, that's so you can charge it with the really handy plugging it into your iPad yeah, to charge. Hopeless. But the the Belkin one's really nice. It's got a magnetic top and it's like a little pencil case. So it holds all the other bits. So okay. the adapter and yeah, the yeah. pen tips. And, and it's got a little hole in one end. So when you stand it up, it's a little pen holder. Okay, cool. So it is now staying in there forever. I'm astounded I haven't lost that little adapter thing for my I've pencil. lost mine, yeah. I lost Maybe. mine ages ago. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but I've been doing lots of drawing. Again, onto Instagram, been doing my drawings. I, I can't say I've really enjoyed it. One from the fact that we were talking about last week was I'm just not getting any kind of interaction with, with it, and I don't mm. really enjoy Instagram much anymore. Um, and two, I'm just so short of time. <laughs> that uh it's yeah it seems like a grind and i don't think i'll be revisiting uh inktober again um i think if i did do it again i'd just follow their prescriptive the prompts um, the prompts because yeah. um, it might create something more more i like what enjoyable. you're doing though it's uh joyously odd <laughs> little story you're creating yeah I've actually written the rest of it now, so I'm I'm kind of on a down downhill journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've I've found that really really hard going. What else? Uh, web- websites. I've been thinking about my business um, constantly, changing my mind about what I'm going to be doing. Um, so yeah, I'm um, I'm just been working on those and thinking about it. It's it's relentless. The uh, the technology. Um, so kind what are you thinking about specifically? Just like a a technical refresh of how your website looks and works or about how it represents you? Yeah, I th- no, I think as in how the service that I offer. Um, okay. I'm, I've said before, I think I'm just going to restrict my work to websites, mm-hmm. um, but I'm lacking in certain skills that will allow me to really offer that uh, uh, separately from being a designer. So, because I get at the moment, you know, the websites I get come on the back of, branding job or yes whatever and i say yeah I, I, I can do that um but i'd really like to be able to say no i'm you know i'm the one-stop shop for that that particular mm-hmm. uh specialty and i i think that that's where i really i really belong with that kind of one foot in business and one foot in websites um cool so yeah i, I really need to concentrate on that and do some do some uh, genning up on 
latest technology because again it is just moving on so quickly it's really hard to keep up with it when you're just doing it day in day out yeah should we have a bit of news yes uh i found this weird thing on twitter um and i don't know where it came from but it's uh it's an article uh in the smithsonian american art museum kind of blog oh it's an exhibition of this woman's work uh so the woman is uh, francis glessner lee and she was born in 1878 died in 1962 and she produced a series of work called nutshell studies of unexplained death and they are these astonishingly detailed little kind of doll's house style dioramas of crime scenes so she was the first female police captain in the US and is considered the mother of forensic science so and she created all these incredible little doll's house scenes of murders in order to train forensic scientists and kind of crime scene investigators about what you should be looking for at a crime scene and how you should approach the the you know the evidence and everything um, and they're still in use today, apparently, to train forensic scientists. And they, I mean, when you first look at them, they, they just look like the most macabre doll's they houses. Really spooky. You could ever see. Have you scrolled down to the bottom to the image gallery of that link? No, there's well, I've got, I'm on the VR thing that's, um, oh, okay. There's a, there's a VR 360 spin around of each. Yeah little diorama and yeah, it's, but it's, it's exquisitely done isn't it yeah there's kind of like you know a midwest barn with a man hanging and a kind of a a, a mid-century sitting room with a corpse on the floor and <laughs> really dark really dark yeah this and is a, more a, scary than any of the horror films i, I had know. to watch for this show like a, a blood splattered doll in a bed um and it's absolutely fascinating there's a brilliant picture of her and she's there's a black and white picture and she's there in a hat and a kind of hairnet and uh, she's picking at this skull and the issue is from a magazine and it says, in this issue, Grandma Sleuth at 69. <laughs> <laughs> it's fab. She's like Miss Marple or something. Yeah. That's what I thought it was when you were, when you sent that picture through. Yeah, that is, oh, I'm going to read very that. Very dark, that is, Miss Marple. What a brilliant find. How did you find that? I just, someone tweeted it and uh, yeah, caught my attention. Fantastic. And what museum is that at? It's the Smithsonian Museum um, of modern art. Right. Smith, oh no, the Smithsonian American Art Museum. Yeah. So we won't be popping to see that. Um, our friend Jeremy Della is back again in the news. Uh, he has been. He's created a an inflatable Stonehenge. Have you seen this? I have not. Um, so uh, <laughs> it's it's been sort of um, transported. It's toured the world, and it's called Sacrilege. It's basically a an inflatable exact copy of the of Stonehenge um, and he's celebrating 100 years of um public ownership of the of the the henge okay um because in 1909 i think it was uh, uh, sort of uh, brought into public ownership because it was it had fallen into such bad mm. repair um but he's also done uh, uh, he's done these beautiful i think they're absolutely gorgeous uh, colorized Images, uh, they're watercolor, colorized black and white images of of the original Stonehenge when it was when it was taken into public ownership and it was in, in a right state. Yeah, and uh, yeah, his colors are just gorgeous. Um, yeah, I think some people might say it's not 
art or whatever but i i, I would quite like to have a print of those on my wall yeah, i think I they're like beautiful it. um so yeah he's up to he's up to amazing things a uh, horrible photo of him in terrible sandals on the uh, guardian website oh good lord yes yeah, blue socks and black sandals mr della and a bright pink um yeah hoodie not good yeah. But, uh, yeah, so that's one. That's one thing, and then the other one was a lovely story um, about a Swedish girl, uh, who, and they've she's called Saga Venesek, and um, she accidentally or just put her hands into some water. She was playing in a little uh, lake and pulled out a fifteen hundred year old Viking sword out <laughs> of the lake that was only a few inches, a few centimeters under the under the surface, um, which is just amazing and it's had experts it just absolutely um gagging it <laughs> it's it's a it's a great looking sword as well isn't it yeah uh, there's a lovely article in the guardian i think it was where she's actually written it herself yeah um and she's just full of that lovely positivity um that children bring to to stories like this yeah it's lovely um yeah she's uh she says things like, uh, what does she say? Uh, people on the internet are saying I'm the Queen of Sweden because in the legend of King Arthur, he was given a sword by a lady in the lake and that meant he would become a king. I'm not a lady. I'm only eight. But it's true <laughs> I found a sword in the lake. I wouldn't mind being queen for a day, but when I grow up, I want to be a vet or an actor in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Brilliant story. Very, very lovely. Uh, the only other bit of news I got this week, uh, again from The Guardian, was uh it's an article it's a review of um an exhibition at Tate Britain on Edward Byrne Jones the pre-Raphaelite painter um and I kind of I haven't exactly got a soft spot for Byrne Jones but I quite like his his the technique he uses it's very kind of fine and precise and you know I don't know. It's romanticised, like the pre-Raphaelites did. Um, but this um, review is absolutely scathing. Not of the exhibition, but of Burne Jones, the artist. Uh, it's entitled Edward Burne Jones Review, Art That Shows How Boring Beauty Can Be. And it's Jonathan Jones, who's, I think he's the art editor for The, the Guardian. And he just talks so much about how Burn Jones's kind of slavish attention to technique and sort of detail strips any mystery or love out of the subject matter. Um, and it's, it's absolutely incredible, uh, how brutal he is. Um, to put it bluntly, Burn Jones is a stupid artist. That is very striking in this exhibition's recreation of entire room that he decorated with scenes from the story of Sleeping Beauty. These paintings of briar roses and sleeping nights are all detail and no thought. A steam engine romantics prose masquerading as poetry. Uh, I don't think I've ever read such a scathing review of an artist. Well, he'll um, be spinning in his grave, won't he? He will indeed. I think it's really... It's, it's just not... I think it's a nasty piece. Um, and it's obviously... There's some agenda to the journalist writing it in the way that they have, because why send a journalist who hates that work so much when they're yeah. not going to bring anything positive? Yeah, it is very strange. I mean, criticism should be constructive, not just destructive. And uh, people who are into pre-Raphaelite paintings are going to go to that. People who are not into pre-Raphaelite, probably not so much. Yeah. I mean, if you think of um, 
the Watts Gallery, mm. I didn't enjoy that art at all. And that's kind of the uh, the tail end of that kind of yeah, movement, yeah. isn't it? And I, I and so I wouldn't be interested in this. Yeah, I, d- I just think they've sent the wrong person. <laughs> well, he, I've I've read his reviews before of things, and he he very much you know if he doesn't like something, he. Uh, he he doesn't like the quality of the work get in the way of his opinion. <laughs> um, there's a on the flip side of, of that um, from the same sort of art department. Um, there's a really good essay actually on the power of photography, um, and the title of it is "Future Photography in the Age of Instagram," um, and it's an essay really more than a, an article because it's quite a long piece, but well worth reading. Shauna Hagen is the writer um, and it talks about the power of photography in an internet age. And I think the, the, the title is, um, is not very helpful. Um, it's very mm. clickbaity because obviously it's got the keyword Instagram in it. Mm. It's not really about Instagram at all. It's about uh, finding artists who are working in a, a medium that is so saturated now and trying to make art of it because, you know, anyone can, press the shutter of a of a camera and take a picture but it's it's really an article about what makes it different for you capturing a piece of art or just a snap what what is that um that drives that kind of that split and uh and i find that ever ever so fascinating um because we're all trying to take shots that uh that make somebody react in some way now aren't we rather than mm. 36 exposures or 24 or whatever it was back yeah. in the day that you just like oh yeah there's three shots in that whole film that are possibly okay you're trying to take every single picture like it's going to be picked up and used by reuters or whatever <laughs> um but it yeah it's a it's a good article and um and definitely worth definitely worth the read but it doesn't yeah, tell you what the future of photography is going to be i haven't got around to reading that yet but it does look interesting i mean it's strange isn't it you know we're we're consuming more photography than we ever have let alone producing more photography than we ever have so it's it's certainly a strange era isn't it yeah i mean the stats are phenomenal it's like um 350 million photos a day mm. are going onto facebook 90 something million onto instagram so you know that's nearly that's over 400 uh, 400 million photos on facebook's coffers a day yeah there's some silly stat isn't there about like 90 percent of the photographs ever taken were taken last year and that you know it's just shows how many more photographs have been taken year and year and year well, uh, uh, as these cameras uh in phones you know get better and better uh you know we were we were laughing at that um that camera a few weeks ago about Mm. the one with multiple lenses all over the back of it yes but i read an interesting um bit of sort of future i can't remember who it's by but they were saying you know will the back of the of the of your phone become a capture display in the future where they won't be it will all be uh software based Mm. but the entire screen will capture the Mm. image um, because there'll be multiple lenses in there doing all sorts of different tricks. Um, so maybe that, that camera is the kind of prototype for the future of photography where it's rather than a light bulb, it's a light panel that is, you know, taking that picture, which is an interesting kind of uh, way to go down. Yeah, I think, I think ph- photography is just going to 
change unrecognisably in the next few years, isn't it? You know, we've gone, we've already gone from <clears throat> smartphones having one camera to having two cameras, and the latest is it the Samsung? The latest Samsung has three cameras on the back. Um, the Hawaii, yeah. Hawaii. Oh, is it that one? Yeah, yeah I think that's got four. Oh, is one, it of, one of them's got four. Oh, is it a flash? I think or a, a fingerprint thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think I. Yeah, I. I, uh, I think computational that- photography. Is it photography? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it is, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> well, is it though? It's, basic but it's not the photograph that. you take, is it? It's the photograph that the computer decides you've taken. But then the lens is the same thing, isn't it? I don't know, is it? <laughs> yeah. Well, unless we go out, we'll go out with pinhole cameras. <laughs> well, that's what I plan to do, John. <laughs> or, or somebody accompanying you with a sketchbook. Hi, <laughs> oh, I say, take a- <laughs> an engraving of this, would you? <laughs> Excuse me, in Nando's. Excuse me, could you just do an engraving of my dinner? <laughs> I need to post this on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, um, <coughs> talking of great artists, uh, yes. there is a um, a Peanuts exhibition on, um, which is, yes, so it's called Good Grief, Charlie Brown, Cele- Celebrating Snoopy and the Enduring Power of Peanuts. Oh, I'm an, I'm a massive fan of Charlie Brown. So if you're not, I uh, I apologise. But I think that the pathos and art of of it is one of, makes it one of the best comic strips ever. Um, how you know, um, and Snoopy was just the coolest dude that you could like as a five year old kid growing up in the seventies. Uh, but basically, what they've done is they've got they've they've got a load of artists to reinterpret their work in the vein or inspired by um peanuts uh so there's um there's a really cool one which is um uh a lady called lauren lopret and she's uh used <laughs> like the uh the drawings of peanuts and um, replaced the words with um lyrics from morrissey songs or <laughs> songs um, which Very fits cool. really really well because there's this kind of childlike charm to the pictures but actually the um the bathos i, I imagine or the 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 slightly macabre and melancholy message that that schultz always put in his comics it yeah. comes through well so yeah I'd, I'd really like to go and see that um yeah and i can't i, I just i love i'd like to go see it i'm not uh by any stretch uh a peanuts fan not because I don't like it, just because I've never really read much of it at all. Um, yeah, I just remember to- that. I just remember it being on BBC Two, you know, like uh, in the seventies or yes. early, and it was um, it was almost incomprehensible. It was a bit like you know sitting and watching the cricket when I didn't know what cricket yeah, yeah. was, um, and I just watched so much of it that it kind of went went in. And now I look at the drawings; it just has such lovely memories for me. And the film, the three D film they made. Uh, is actually surprisingly good. Yeah, yeah. Um, they capture the art really well, even though it's three D. I think. Well, I haven't seen that. That's going to cause some ruptures. <laughs> Should we talk things that go bump in the night? Yes, let's. Oh, there's one one thing that I've missed. Did you see Come the on. little film of um, the a augmented reality? We were talking about. Um, how technology is uh, moving on and that we're moving into everyone's always saying when's it going when's minority report going to happen well there's a bus stop in london it looks like to me like is it 
Oxford Street or uh, Regent Street. Yeah. It's just off Regent Street, maybe. Um, they've put in uh, augmented reality into a screen that faces on the inside of a bus stop. <laughs> Have you watched the film? I haven't. I've, I'm, well, I'm watching it now, actually. I've seen this sort of thing done before in exactly the same places, but not with this kind of crazy, crazy film stuff. Yeah. So basically, the, it looks like well, if you're sitting on the inside of the bus stop, uh, it looks like the street is continuing off into the distance. And then suddenly something crazy might happen, like... Uh, a lion runs down the street. Or yeah. And UFOs. it's just, it's a film sort of capturing the reactions of the people, but the technology is stunning, <laughs> isn't it? And it's only good, it you know. Very, very well done. Yeah. So horror. Horror. Good work. (laughs) Are you a horror fan, John? I, you know, I am. I love horror. I really, really love horror. Um, I think as a kid, it was my, it was the thing I loved most about, um, about sort of pop culture. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember getting books when I was a kid from Puffin. They were like, I don't know what they were. They were called ghost books. I was going to look this up, but I've completely went out of my mind. But um, yeah, they were like ghost books for kids. And there was one story about a kid playing football, which was already a mystery to me. <laughs> but he was playing football, um, you know, like three and in. And yeah. it turned out that a kid he was playing with had died in the 1950s. And oh. I, that just absolutely freaked me out. <laughs> yeah. And I think I was, must have been about six or seven. And then, and then my parents used to go out and leave us kids as in the 70s they, of course. they did. Yeah. And uh, I used to watch um, Hammer House of Horror on a Saturday night. I used to sneak into my parents' room yeah. and a TV in their louvred uh, fitted wardrobes. <laughs> 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 and I would fire that up and watch Hammer House of Horror, which used to scare the shit out of me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I've actually... I watched some of those um, the other night. Which How do they me, stand up? They are hilarious. <laughs> yeah, they are so sexist. It is oh, yeah. unreal. It is, I, I just, my jaw was literally on the floor. At, um, it's kind of like Benny Hill does horror. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I absolutely love horror. Um, I, it's probably something that I haven't really followed much in the last few years. Um I haven't seen a decent horror film, I don't think. The last one I saw was the other week was a zombie film. But I'm not sure I'd put that in. I don't know. Are we talking about scary films here or horror films? Because <sighs> it's scary that is that that for me is the is the appealing thing. Mm. Uh, not yeah, necessarily I'm, I'm, gore fest. No, I don't need gore or any of that. What do they call it um, these days? Slasher. Um, torture porn. Oh, nice. You know, things, things like saw and things like that um you know i haven't seen that have you seen that no i haven't watched them have you seen saw or the human caterpillar (laughs) i i have not seen saw (laughs) so we're gonna we're we're the same age aren't we so we're gonna come out with the same references and some of your references you i've just read uh, i've missed and they are absolutely brilliant so what's so let's 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 start with um let's let's start with uh, what we challenged each other to to watch over the last week. So yes. the first one was um, Wicker Man. Yep, the original, this, not the, original. the Nick Cage version. No, the second one was um, to watch the new uh, Haunting of House, Hill, Hill House, House. Uh, which has just come on to Netflix, I think it is, yep. isn't it? 
Yep. And that's a series, uh, which is a strange one for horror. Um, and then uh, the, the last one was, because you're following a British folk theme, mm-hmm. um, I thought we might read The Ash Tree by M.R. James. Did you get a chance to read that? I did. I read it about an hour ago. Excellent. So, yeah. um, and we're going to talk about those, but first we're going to talk about like the classic things. If you look up any horror stuff on the internet, there's, you know, 27 most scary parts of films. <laughs> uh, so we're going to do our standout scares. So take it away, Rob. Well, the one that has always stayed with me from the first time I saw it um, was John Carpenter's The Fog. This is KAB Antonio Bay. Stevie Wayne here, and let me be the first to wish Antonio Bay a happy birthday. We're 100 years old today, and keep a watch out for that fog bank. There isn't a specific bit in that film that that terrified me. It was the whole thing. And I remember watching it with my dad, and I think we had some relatives round, and there was a big debate about whether or not I was old enough to watch it. Um, But I did watch it, and then I had to sleep with my bedroom door open and the light on the stairs for weeks because I was so terrified that I'd kind of open my eyes and see one of these horrific kind of dead mariners <laughs> looking at me. I just, I, I love that film. It's great because I read the book uh, when I was a kid. I think that I, I picked up James Herbert. At, um, my mum had, re- had got from the library. Yeah. And it's a completely different yes. story, isn't it? Yes. So I read this thing, which was disgusting. And then, um, and then somebody was, uh, I think had the video of John Carpenter or it was at the video shop when they allowed, you know, small children to yeah. take out any film they liked. And there's this, it's a really creepy, I haven't seen it for years, but it's a really creepy sensation of this fog coming out of the sea and rolling up mm, this town. That's it, and the fog and rolls I, in. Yeah, and, and there's this kind of, there's this great sort of uh, night owl kind of DJ voice over that says, you know, this is KLFSC with the fog is rolling in. Stay stay safe out there, doesn't it? Isn't there? Yeah, absolutely that. Yeah. And, then, um, and then as the fog rolls out again, there's invariably one person has been uh, pretty much filleted by a, uh, a hook, wasn't yes. it? A boat hook or something? Yeah, gaffs and hooks yeah. and all sorts of things. I remember the, the, the great thing with that film is that the connection between the storytelling that's around a fire on a beach, if I remember rightly, yeah. and the actual what was happening at the time. So there's this kind of joke, double scare, where these kids are messing around and then the actual real thing hits which is 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 reused in horror so much isn't it of that yes. that that double that double scale it's mentioned in one of yours isn't it yeah so look, i'm going to jump to that so the first the first one that i'm going to say was my dad got out on video on betamax was the american world in london um i watched it with my grandparents and they were absolutely appalled that i was <laughs> to watch this film and i don't think my grandmother spoke to my dad for a couple of years after after that um so can you imagine the excruciating embarrassment of watching that with your parents and with your grandparents where the jenny agatha scene which yeah i mean i fell in love that's for a different episode of this show (laughs) (laughs) but anyway the 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 double scare in that is the not i've put nazi pigs um so yeah. there's this kind of the, this scene where he is uh, wakes up after being bitten by a, a werewolf and he uh, dreams that he's at home with his parents back in America and uh, these Nazi pigs burst in 
um, and shoot everybody with uh, submachine guns and and cut his do they cut his mother's throat or something that's awful something like that. That, yeah. it's really it's really nasty yeah. and that's scary enough and then um he wakes up and he's having a dream and uh jenny agatha opens up the curtains and uh out comes a nazi pig as <laughs> a double scare yeah it's brilliant have you been up long i've just had a nightmare not to worry i've just the thing Holy shit. See, I really like the the Moors scene in American Werewolf. Um just that moment where they kind of they start running and it's raining and they start running and they're off the path and then all of a sudden they they stop and one of them gets grabbed by the It's a full moon. Werewolf, so to speak. Beware the moon. And stick to the road. Oops. Um, yeah, that's a big sort of scare for me as a kid. Yeah, because I remember those, um, they were in those lovely puffer jackets. Yes. That are really fashionable now. Um, but I was re- remember wanting, really wanting one. So they were kind of, so they're these really modern uh, Americans um, and they just get, they come into sort of an old folk world of, uh, you know, British folk where... Um, so, uh, you Beware know the moon goes yeah. straight from the path and uh and and they're just absolutely eviscerated aren't they and it's yep. really horrific i think it i is. think that that film is full of really really scary moments um it's probably yeah it's probably got the most scary moments of any film i watched when i was a kid yeah um, it's an absolute cracker uh so uh the next one the, the 1984 You've written here a scene in Susan Hill's *The Woman in Black*. Now I don't know this one. So. Well, they they made a they made a film of this uh, with a Daniel few Radcliffe. years ago with Daniel Radcliffe. It's but awful. Yeah, this was a, a an ITV production, um, kind of one of those kind of big Sunday night film sort of thing. Um, and there's just it's a very good kind of period piece about this solicitor who who has this kind of client who dies in the fens um and it's all very spooky and he keeps seeing this woman in black at a funeral and then in the window of a house and stuff and there's just one scene where he's it's very cliched horror he's laid in bed and he wakes up and he looks at the bottom of the bed and there's this woman in black and kind of the moment he sees her she kind of explodes towards him as this absolutely horrific ghost and it i don't think anything in any other film has maybe jump like that did it's a, it's well worth watching it's the it's the ones that uh that when you turn off the tv you have to you think i'm gonna watch some comedy now or yes. <laughs> yeah yeah do you know what i mean yeah, like, or watch so, a sitcom or yeah a yeah because the, the, the shining for me i watched that in the afternoon for the first time on my own hmm. um I don't know, back in the uh, 80s on video or whatever. Um, and the bit when um, the uh, the tricycle, uh, I won't give it, but, you know, the tricycle moment with the yeah. twins uh, absolutely freaked me out. And that's probably got the best double scary moment. Um, or well, I don't know if it's a scub- scare, double scary moment, but you think it's the end, but it's not the end kind of moment yeah. uh, in it when uh, all through the film. 
you think that there is a character in it who's going to come and re- and uh, save them all, and uh, it turns out that that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, The Shining was just immense, immense film. Yeah, uh, it's not an easy watch though. It it's uh, and Kubrick's I think sometimes films rarely are, are they? <laughs> but I think in some some ways, uh, horror films should be easy and then get you. Um, yeah, uh, I think uh, the the one that really upset me the most was uh, the burning, um, and that was one of those banned videos. Okay. Uh, it's I, I've watched it subsequently a, a few times, um, and it's funny. It's like a it's like mm. a an early prototype of Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, basically, uh, you know. Um, a caretaker on a, one of these summer camps in America yep. is, uh, is, is horribly burnt and comes back and, um, oh, yeah, I, wrecks revenge. Oh, on I the, think uh, I did see that. The kids. As a, as a teenager so the, as well. There's this moment when they come up to some boats where they, they've, they've been split up. These kids have been split up from the party. They're missing and they find a whole, um, like a, a, a collection of boats of canoes together on the, on the water mm. and they come up to them and, and he comes out of one of the boats and he, his, his sort of key killing thing is these shears and he shears this person's fingers off, which fly off. And I think it was about eight or nine <laughs> <laughs> and I had to sleep in my mum's bed for a week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that just t- absolutely terrified me. If I mean, you, if, if you can watch a film in in the daytime and it to put the willies up you, then that's that's a mark of a good film, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. Um, uh, and then another another type of scare is that is just the the relentless scare, which is the the classic the Blair Witch thing, where nothing really scary happens in that film until the end. Um, that film was so disappointing for me. But it's almost worth it for that last 30 seconds. Yes. Yeah. I, I did exactly the same. I, I thought it was stupid and really annoying. And um, there was just lots of crying and blubbing. Yeah. With bad cameras. But that last bit is just perfect. It absolutely ruins you, doesn't it? It really bit. does. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, then the, the shock, the shock, uh, the ones where you know it's going to happen, it's coming, but even when it does come, it scares the hell out of you. And that yeah. is, uh, Dallas's death in Alien, I think. <laughs> yes. Uh, did you see Alien as a kid? Did somebody I, have it as a, like, yeah. a, well, a pirate I've, I've, or something? Yeah. I've got it on my list here. So I watched it in the afternoon one day at Stephen Snowden's house, who was the first person I knew with a VHS machine. And he, I think he tipped off the telly. Yes, yeah, so I saw the first one I saw was on the telly. Yeah, so we probably watched it in like eighty-two or early eighty-three, and I didn't—I had never heard of it. You know, I was ten years old, nine or ten. Never heard of it. Didn't know what it was about, and we watched it, and I was absolutely terrified. I think. Get out of there! Loved it. You know, the only sci-fi I'd seen up until then was, you know, Star, Star Wars, Wars, Star yeah. Trek, Book Rogers, <laughs> Space 1999. And this was, you know, this was different league. But this didn't feel like sci-fi to me at all when I watched it's it. It's very it, definitely a horror film on a spaceship. Yeah, it? it didn't feel like... I remember seeing the posters in the video shop and, you know, in um, I think the catchphrase was, in space, no one can hear you scream. Yeah. And there was kind of this 
weird egg with glowing stuff coming mm. out of it, if I remember rightly. Uh, but what I loved about that film was that it was more fantasy. It was more like that could have been um, more. It was more Blade Runner than uh, than Star Wars, if you know what I mean. So yeah. it's kind of like here's a here's an environment that you can't get out of um, that is closed and um, very similar to another brilliant horror film that I haven't written down here, which is The Thing, which is one of my favorite yeah. ever horror films, and that is terrifying. But that has that kind of that uh, sense of um, panicky. It's kind of claustrophobia, uh, cla- isn't it? Claustrophobia. It's, it's being trapped you, with something. You, you know, you, you cannot get out of there, yeah. and they don't have to use any of those stupid later on slasher film kind of like, "Oh, let's just go," or "Or the car won't start," or all those exactly. kind of cliche things that that horror films still play on today to try and yeah. get that scare. Um, and I think that's where a lot of these. <clears throat> you know, a lot of modern films where they, they fall down. And that's why we've got now got like, let's just crank up the gore to maximum. Um, because the scare thing, I don't know. I don't know if it works anymore. Um, and maybe we should talk about the, did you watch the haunting of the Hill house? I did. I did. And that uses, that very much uses some of those kind of cliche, tropes doesn't it of, of making Absolutely. you jump you know there's one bit where one of the characters at the the first second of a cut just he's putting putting a bag or grabbing a bag out of a cupboard but it's it's done so noisily that in comparison to the previous scene it makes you jump but it's just a trick to to make you jump it's nothing you know there's nothing narrative about that scare Yes, it does use the Haunted Hill House. Definitely uses a lot of those tricks that are prevalent in modern kind of horror, gory slasher films. Um, but I think it was better than that. You you said you were, you found it a bit tedious, didn't you? Um, I just thought I th- I think the premise. So shall I run over the premise yeah, a bit? Yeah. If you so basically, um, the Haunting of Hill House was book in the 50s or something like that uh which which talked about um people you know that it's that classic um kind of uh, uh detective fiction where people go to a house to find a legacy or or whatever it is um and they are they are scared away by the haunting or the or the the imposing mm. whatever it is the spirit in in the house and there was a film in 1963 a british film called the haunting which is, uh, I, I liked. I thought it was really good, but it wasn't scary. I'd heard it was the scariest, the most scary yeah. ghost film ever made, and it it really isn't. It's just yeah, unsettling. Guillermo del Toro t- t- says that's the scariest film ever made. Really, that sixties version of the haunting. Yeah, oh, I, I, I don't. I, I think it's good. I just don't think it's that as good as uh, as, it, as it makes one, out to be. There's one bit in it, isn't there, where they're all in a room. And you can hear this kind of banging or something coming towards the door, and it's very tense. But yeah, it's um, it's good. But anyway, carry on. Sorry. No. So so this this premise is that this has already happened. This kind of uh, they they they've uh, this this family have moved in. They basically they built they, the the dad does up houses and and makes them good, sells them and moves on. <clears throat> and they bought this house. It was super cheap. Doing it up. And something has happened in the past and we kind of go, we see the kids 
in the past maybe 20 years before and then they're all grown up and all scattered across america doing all sorts of different things um and it's kind of like the first episode is all about the siren call to bring it back Mm. bring them all back to the to this to this one house um and it uses every single uh cliche trope that uh horror films use so for example um wet haired dark haired ladies in um in victorian nightwear uh which you know is a is a genre all in itself (laughs) if you're a pj harvey fan um but uh yeah there's that and then there's the kind of uh the the distance figure and then you know it slowly racks up and comes uh, they foreshorten the uh the depth of field don't they on, on the camera and it just sort of draws it in towards you there's all of that um but i think maybe the series will explore those cliches a little bit more I, I hope so i hope it's got more brains in it than it thinks i, I think it, I, it I hope it seems. does because um it's certainly got some rave reviews from people on social media saying it's very clever and does some interesting things with the genre um i thought the first few minutes of it where it is in the past and you've got the kids in this house and there's you know they're kind of doing stuff in the house i thought that was really well done because nothing really happened um but you were kind of on the edge of your seat expecting something to happen um but then when it goes to the present day i was quite confused because although i knew it was the same bunch of characters because you'd only met them very briefly and there's you know two adults and four kids yeah and then it it goes for 20 years and you thought well, hang on is that the is that the dad? Is that the kid? Is that the mum? Because yeah. I didn't know. Is the, was I, yeah, it the mum or the very daughter? Similar. Or? Yeah, yeah. I, I think they got that. I, I, I think they got that really wrong, and I think they've got too many people in it. Yeah, it's uh, very confusing. But the uh, the lead chap who is um, in the present is a Paris sort of normal investigator <clears throat> and isn't, claims to have never seen a ghost. Yeah, he's not a believer, is he? He's almost a debunker, but he's he's making his money off. Yeah, I, I like the actor. I really do. Yeah, yeah, me he's too. Dutch, isn't he? And he's oh, he? um, yeah, because he was in the potato, the Guernsey Potato Peel and Ply Book Club or whatever. I read, what? I watched. Have you seen that? Did you just make that up? No, it's a really the stupid Guernsey name. and Clyde the, Potato Peel <laughs> Book Club. The, bur- the, the Guernsey Potato Pie Peel and Book Club, <laughs> something like that. I have no idea, John. <laughs> anyway, he's a pig farmer in it. <laughs> Um, uh, so from from that the next one to talk about let, let's talk about the Wicker Man because I think having watched it last night I'm not sure I've seen that film before really I think I thought I'd seen that it's one of those I've definitely you know it's like Clockwork Orange kind of thing I, yeah I think you. I've seen it in bits yeah I think I don't think I've ever watched it all the way through before but I've probably seen all of it at yeah. different times. So I um, found it firstly uh, confusing because uh, now, you know, we've got this abundance of, of different versions available. Mm. Um, there were three versions out there. There's the final cut, there's the director's cut, and then there's the standard cut. Um, I had which no idea which one which one I was meant to be. Oh, well, I could only get the final cut one. Yeah, that, that apparently is the one that's uh, given the nod of approval from the director. So. Yeah. Well, I don't think you're going to miss... I mean... You're not going to miss much. It's not going. To, it's not changing the story. It's not. It's not like Blade Runner, where you know 
the whole no, premise of the film yes. changes. Um, I think they've just cut bits. Um, plus they've cleaned up the, the, the footage. And, um, I have to say, even though I watched it on my iPad Pro, it, the quality is fantastic. Yeah, it really, looks great. And it has that lovely light, um, that you get from old film. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's beautiful. It's, it, it's a brilliant, brilliant. I loved it. It's a brilliant film. It's like a music. It's like a musical crossed with a, I wrote here an episode of Morse. <laughs> it's a bit like that, isn't it? You know, it's um, a it's a little sort of provincial copper. You know, gets called out to the Highlands or some island um, in the north of Scotland um, because someone's missing, and then there's this kind of mass conspiracy to to hide the truth on this island. And it's like you've said, it's not a it's not a scary film, but it's deeply unsettling really that's right yeah unsettling is the word and that's what i love you've got all these bits of oddly unsettling you know the the locals singing folk songs while this this copper looks on sort of and he's he's deeply religious dear god in heaven even these people can't be that mad edward woodward in the the film as the copper and he's he's kind of looking on aghast as these people sort of perform vaguely pagan rituals and sing these songs and it's, it's, you're with him all the way, aren't you? Kind of horrified by it all. Uh, well, I don't know. I found their 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 way of life much more appealing than than his. What he, <laughs> <laughs> but um, oh, yeah, it's got it's got beautiful. Um, I don't know what lenses they were using, but the the close ups of faces is just gorgeous. Mm. You know, is there's, there's he's just he's so cinematic looking in the film uh woodward yeah. he's he's really compelling and he's so uh he's he's really fundamentalist uh, you know he is a fundamentalist christian yeah. so this is it makes him so mad he's so angry the whole film um and i think that's you know that he used that in his career all the way through do you remember the equalizer oh, he was do I ever. He was, <laughs> he was always so angry in that he was. wasn't he yeah. um but in this, it's just, it's a brilliant film. And what I loved about it as well, it's a kind of a social, um, a documentary or commentary on, on that time with what pubs were like. Cause yeah. you kind of, he comes into a pub and it, it, let's say, let's go back to American Wolf in London. They go into a pub and it's that classic sort of <coughs> what you think a, a British pub would be where it's dark and there's all sorts of, you know, candles and yeah. all that kind of stuff. But actually you go into a, a pub in the seventies into any working class man's pub or whatever. It was strip lighting. Yeah. Really, really bright. Cheap wood veneers everywhere. Yeah. Terrible food. And, um, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it, and it just captures that absolutely perfectly, doesn't it? It's fantastic. Um, yeah. I, I loved it. And it didn't go, it didn't try to explain anything. It didn't try to go off on any tangents. No. It just has this brilliant linear kind of like he's hunting for this missing girl. Um, but everybody in the film is hunting him. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't realize that, but it is, I loved it. I'm uh, really, really enjoyed that. Yeah. It was a, it was a fantastic film. As a, a side note, I was lucky enough to meet Edward Woodward a couple of times because he used to live in Shepparton where we used to have the shop. Yeah. So him and his wife used to come into our shop. So he was married to Michelle Detrice from right. uh, some mothers do have them. Um, and I remember sitting, he was, his wife was talking to my wife and I sat down on the bench in our shop and chatted to him for a little while. And he could not have been 
one, a nicer bloke. He was so lovely and sort of gently spoken. But God, he hated the Nick Cage remake of Wicked Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he really hated it. That's a brilliant story. Because yeah. um, the director I was reading, um, uh, he he wouldn't even talk to bit journalists about the remake of the film. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did you know that the the writer who wrote that film uh, wrote a sequel to it, but it never got made? Uh-huh. And he... Um, well, I don't know if I'm giving... Um, this is a plot spoiler uh, alert. But um, he made him, Neil What's-His-Face, survive the fire. And oh. the next one was about the lantern worm. What? Which you've been drawing. Yes. Yeah. Which he battles what, him. <clears throat> wow, that's very strange. Yeah. Because uh, the Lampton Worm is the basis for uh, Ken Russell's The Lair of the White Worm. Ah, right. Which I, I watched recently when I drew The Lampton Worm. That is an absolutely appalling film. Yeah, is that, Ken, Ken is that got Hugh, terrible. Hugh Grant? Hugh Grant, Peter Capaldi, and, um, and, and Amanda Ma- Donahoe. Yeah, lady who loved getting her kit off. She did, yeah. But it's terrible. I mean, it's so Ken Russell, you know, there's lots of naked nuns in it. Um, but God, it's awful. Isn't that just 70s films? Maybe. <laughs> there's enough naked girls in, uh, in this film. There are, if you yeah. can ignore that rather sexist look at, uh, at the world, um, it is well worth a revisit. If you think you've watched it and you, and you um, like me, it's just slipped through the, you know, the floorboards, as it mm. were. Uh I recommend it highly, and it's only three pounds yeah. forty nine or something Re- to buy it. You know, not to yeah. rent it. Um, so that takes us on to like English folk, and the reason that I said I think that you'd enjoy this was not because it's his best story, Mr. James, but because it's the most. I think it's the most typical of his style of writing, where he wrote what you think is some kind of uh, either um, like a like a, a journal in a in a in a literary tome, or maybe an article in a newspaper that you're reading about the, the local history. Yeah, but hidden within that kind of uh, all the technical talk of you know a country house, for example, that you know uh, has had additions to it and Italian. Yeah, all that uh, chat about the architecture. And you've stuff. got in the middle of it. You've got this really really freaky ghost story, mm. and then. It will just end, and that's it. He doesn't do beginnings and ends. He just sort of you, you are literally overhearing a conversation, and that's why I love absolutely love Mr. James. Yeah, ghost they stories. would make a brilliant sort of episodic TV series, wouldn't they? Yeah, well, they've been made into TV. A lot, lots of the, uh, the, <clears throat> the the stories have been made into TV programs. Probably the most famous, if you haven't seen it, is uh, Whistle and I'll Come to You. Um, in which is I think is Ralph Richardson in it. Okay. Um and it is really, really terrifying. Who's coming? Oh. We shall blow it and see. But if you, um, it's really, really unsettling. So don't oh, watch it late that. at night. It's quite a scary one. Um, and basically it's about a whistle that if you blow, this 
unforeseen shadow comes towards you um and just hunts you down oh. so it's a bit like um that recent horror film that it was set follows. in detroit yeah um but, which is a very good i thought that was a very good uh, that was a very good scary film yeah, yeah. it's that kind of it's, it's the it, relentlessness the relentless and you can't get away <clears throat> yeah um so what did you think of the ash tree i really enjoyed it but like you say i i, I, I haven't read much mr james um and you don't really know where it's going for two thirds of the the book, and it's you can't quite get a handle on the narrator. Like you say, it's almost written like a, a journal entry, or you know, it's uh, it's an aside in his book on English country architecture or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was good and a very unexpected ending. <clears throat> yeah, I re- recommend you read try out if you don't if you don't want to read them then you can always try the mr james podcast mm. um which I, I have tried that but i think i think i need to read them before i go back to that yeah <clears throat> there's two two guys who run it they are lovely and their podcast is brilliant yeah if you you have to listen to the early ones though because they cover one story per episode yes and they ran out a long time ago <laughs> so now they they kind of revisit things so it's a bit more advanced so mm. i definitely start at the beginning um and you'll get a feel for mr james they they travel the country go to all the spots that yeah. he wrote about um interview people it's a brilliant podcast well i think um I think I'm, you know, it being the season for it, I will. Yeah. Uh, I'll plough through my book of M.R. James. Oh yeah, no, definitely start with the first. The first story is the, is one of the scariest ones. Yeah. Um, but yeah, watch um, Whistle and I'll Come to You, 1968 version. Cool. Um, it will freak you out. Will do. Uh, yeah, and so I, I watched Hammer House of Horror, um, and I said, yeah, it's just total sexist nonsense. Yeah. Um, but I put I put a bit in. Um, there's some great famous actors in there, you know, hidden away. It's amazing how many, you know, respected actors made their sort of <laughs> made their names in uh, Hammer Horror. Lots of music like that. Yeah. Anyway, that we didn't mention the music in in um, oh, the Wicker yes. Man is brilliant. Brilliant, so good, spooky folk music. But yeah, love it. So I think we can say we're fans of horror. I think we can. Um, So, yeah, I think I need to watch the rest of the series of Haunting of Hill House to see where horror is going. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm certainly not interested in um gruesome stuff no but i'd be uh, i'd love to hear if anybody's got any good scary films that that should be watched so i think it's interesting that we both picked out films that aren't necessarily horror films yeah um the one that you missed that you didn't talk about was um was just made me shout out loud to uh to jess when i read it um which isn't really a horror film is it um uh, jaws Yes, there's so many scares in Jaws. Um, but the bit that, no matter how, I've watched Jaws probably more often than I've watched any other film. And the bit that always grabs me is is when Matt Hooper's diving and the, the head appears in the hole of the boat. <laughs> it's Every so, time. Doesn't matter how, I know it's coming. It still <laughs> gets me. 
My, I remember finding my sister, Nicola, my younger sister, just pressing pause on that and rewinding pause. <laughs> she was about four or five. She used to watch that. Yeah. Really four or five. Oh, talking of a little child. Come here. Sorry, mate. That's all right. <laughs> that if was quite the, scary, actually. I was going to say, if, she did, if, child in, if she'd have come in sort of singing Ring a Ring a Rosie or something, <laughs> I might have, I might have um, let a little bit of we out. <laughs> well, no, she's, um, she's wearing like a Victorian um, pyjamas. <laughs> she hasn't got wet hair, has she? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, God. It's just as well I'm blind drunk on pumpkin beer. <laughs> ah. <laughs> right. Well, it's um, always good to uh, follow a horror with a laugh John isn't it exactly so, yeah it's just what we needed oh I, lo- I, lo- I love talking about horror so uh, have have you got any um, website of the week or anything no. to report no. so should we go for, straight to my horrors of, uh, of of pies yes let's I've got another one from the depths of my chest freezer <laughs> is it is it the thing from <laughs> <laughs> yeah from... no this one is a cheddar cheese and onion pie from Higgity Right. Now, I don't think I've ever scored a, a Higgity pie above three or four. Mm. For a company that makes pies solely, yep. Yep. Uh, they are a disappointing lot. So I'm going to crack in. It's like a lattice top football pie. Um, yep. um, that's, that's traditional for a cheese and onion pie, isn't it? The lattice top. Well, it's got potato in it, which mm. I didn't say. The pastry's terrible. Boys, boy, they can't make pastry. They're a pie company. Um, there's almost hard. There's hardly any taste of cheese, and it should just taste of cheese, isn't it? It should, really. Like a homity pie. Um, no, it's a nothing pie. It potato mm. inside a pie. Yeah. Um, four. A four. Dear God, that's a horror. <clears throat> right, I have got a creamy chicken pie from Marks and Spencers, and it's that kind of. You know, football-shaped oval pie in a foil dish. Short crust pastry. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good, actually. For, a, you know, it's just a bog-standard M&S pie. That's really quite good. Pastry's lovely, <coughs> slightly crumbly, very chickeny. You know, it's just a, a good chicken pie. I'm going to give that a 7.87. Very good. <clears throat> yeah, just it, it, if you're going to make a cheese pie, put cheese in it that tastes of cheese. That's all I ask. I, you know, it's not much to ask. It's not it? much to ask from a cheese pie, is it? <clears throat> okay, so uh, we're at the end of the show, I guess. <clears throat> we are. I enjoyed that, John. I enjoyed talking all things I horror. Could, I could you? have gone on for hours about horror. Um, yeah, I've really. I'm gonna. We should. Uh, we should. If you've got films that you want to recommend, please send them across, and we'll watch them. Um, of modern horror films that are good because yeah. they're really hard to find. They are. Have you seen Burn Tomahawk? No, what's that? It's a Western, so it's not an out-and-out horror um, and it is gruesome, but it's bloody good. It's, okay. um, I can't remember who's in it now, Jeff Bridges or Kurt Russell or someone. Is that on? <clears throat> very recent. Mm-hmm. Burn um, Tomahawk. But yeah, very good. Give that a go. Um, yeah, I enjoyed that. We should do more horror-based. Yeah, or film-based stuff. Or Yes. Yeah, it worked really well. Yep. Uh, so what's next on the agenda? We've got a little wedding this weekend. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. And I'm, I'm just about to start a new project, doing some 
concept art and illustrations for a kind of card struck board game. Cool. Uh, that sounds fascinating. Sci fi based thing. So, yeah. Should be good. Excellent. What about you? Um, I'm not working tomorrow. I've got Kitty all day. So, okay. we're going to um, a party somewhere. Lovely. But, um, yeah, I. Uh, uh, yeah, that's about it. And then I'll be working at the weekend to catch up. Okay, cool. Well, I'll, I'll talk to you over the next couple of days. Yes, yes. and uh, uh, have a spooky uh, Halloween, everybody. You too. Good night, George. Good night. Good night. Good night.